Okay. So I guess what we'll do, since there's very few of us, and this is going to be short anyways, you know, good, uh, whatever, 20 minutes, 25 minutes late, we'll just talk about, well, we'll do a review of Micah, what we've gone through and the things that we've focused on, right? These seems fair enough. I was going to do a review anyway. We'll probably do a lengthier review um, after we finish the book. We're almost done. We are, what, we have, we're in Micah 7, verse 8, and 8 to 20 is one section, so hopefully we could do that in a week or two, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be done pretty soon here. Um, all right, so I guess we'll pray, and then we'll start talking about the book of Micah and our focus as we read it. <clears throat> so, Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for today, for your day, Lord, and we know there's uh, not very many of us now because so many are sick, Lord. We pray that you'd um, make all those who are sick well, Father God, and we pray that you know, you'd bless them and give them mercy. But uh, now as we seek to uh, read your word and look into your word, Father God. We pray that you'd guide us and, and teach us and help us to understand uh, the times in which Micah lived so that we might apply your word to him, to them, uh, in our own day, Father God. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so, as we read through Micah, as we studied through it, and we went through it, um, we saw how much of Micah's time parallels our own. And Micah is a great book to, to read for this purpose because uh, if you guys recall from a long time ago when we started, Micah was the everyman, uh, the everyman's prophet. He really seemed to focus on a lot of social injustices that were going on in his time. And that's pertinent in our day, right? Because everybody likes to talk about social justice now. Um, but Micah gives us a biblical framework for what we can call social, social justice. Um, in our own time, race and economic disparity and gender and all these things are hot button topics, you know. But what Micah focuses on is the rich taking advantage of the poor, or not even the poor, just the, uh, the average working Joe stealing their property, um, defrauding them, using unjust weights and measures. And in, in, in doing that, they're incurring the wrath of God. Now, um, at the beginning of the book of Micah, we looked at, well, in Micah 1, we saw a coming destruction that was coming upon the people of uh, Judah and Jerusalem as Assyria marched through the lands. If you guys recall, Micah prophesied at the time of Sennacherib, and he was 
contemporary of Isaiah. <clears throat> and Sennacherib was taking his army and marching through uh, Jerusalem, destroying cities and taking captives and, and whatnot, and eventually surrounded Jerusalem. And then we read, you know, in the, the account in Isaiah of God's deliverance of the people of Jerusalem from the hand of the Rabshakeh and the armies of Assyria via an angel of the Lord coming and smiting uh, many of the troops of the Assyrians. But <clears throat> that deliverance... Um, That deliverance really wasn't the focus of, of Micah. Micah promised that there would be a deliverance, but he also promised that there would be a further day of judgment dealing with the Babylonian captivity as well. Um, right there in chapters 1 and 2, we see that he says that Israel is going to go, into, go off into uh, Babylon. But even from there, there will be another deliverance. And then we get the great promise of God in Micah 4, right? That it shall come to pass in the latter days of the mountain, and the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, etc. Right? And we saw how that great promise is fulfilled in our day in Christ. Yes? How it shall come to pass in the latter days, speaking of our time, of our days. But Micah focuses on, on that, and then he focuses on the great promise of the Messiah coming in 5. All right, and we read that every Christmas. Yes, this is the great Christmas passage. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Okay. Now, as we were reading it, I've had a, <clears throat> I had a different focus, I suppose you could say, as we're going through all of these things. Because uh, when we were going through... Um, Hosea. Oh, thank you. Oops. No, don't want to lose that at all. Uh, as we were going through Hosea, we focused on um, how to read the Bible, right? That's really what we used uh, the book of Hosea to accomplish. And, and <clears throat> as we were reading through Micah, one thing I kept going back to was just the reality of um, well, the language that, that he used. Uh, the reality that when he talks about mountains and he talks about uh, the Lord, uh, let's see here, even right at the very beginning, when he spoke about the Lord coming out of his place and treading upon the high places of the earth and the mountains melting under him and all of these things, um, the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place, right? So as we read these things, what I, what I really tried to get across was that when this language is used, there is a 
reality that stands behind um, these earthly pictures, right? So when Micah spoke of, we, we spent an inordinate amount of time on the idea of mountains and what mountains are and what they represent and everything else. So that helps us with understanding um, the way that God speaks in his word because he speaks about mountains quite frequently and other things, trees, etc., right, quite frequently. But it also helps us to understand in the world in which we live, you know, um, because <laughs> that's where all of these pictures come from. If when, when we talk about the word of God, right, and God speaking and, and things like that, you know, um, God doesn't speak the way we speak. You know, he doesn't have a voice box and lungs the way we do. You know, so in the beginning, when God created everything, when God said, let there be, right? Um, does that mean he has a voice box and lungs and he said those things? No, that's not what that uh, would be referring to. He doesn't have that. You know, he doesn't have a body. So when we talk about God speaking, and then we look out at the world, right? And we see mountains, and we see trees, and we see... Um, clouds, and we see all of the things that God made. Remember, those things are God's language. That's how God God spoke those, right? That's, that's his spoken word, if you will. Um, and we know that words have meaning, yes? When we speak, every word that we say has a meaning. Now, in our day and age, people don't like to think that. They think that, you know, they are malleable, and you can change definitions willy-nilly and whatnot. But words actually do have real meaning. Like, you know, I mean, nowadays to the point where man, woman, etc., has no real meaning. Mother, father, etc. Those those are offensive words and have no real meaning. You know, we have birthing persons instead. Yes, um, but that's just nonsense. Obviously, that's the very definition of nonsense, as a matter of fact. But. Um, but these words allow us to communicate with each other, right? You destroy language, and you destroy the ability to communicate. You destroy the ability to communicate, you isolate man, right? You become completely that. If you can't talk to somebody, if your language is inadequate to speak to somebody, then you cannot relate to them at all, right? Tower of Babel. Yeah, Tower of Babel. You're not able to accomplish anything. That's, that's exactly correct, the Tower of Babel. God went out and destroyed their language, right? He broke them up so they were not able to accomplish uh, what they set out to do. We understand the world through language. So by the, the destruction of language, what ends up happening is, well, like I said, people become islands. And when people are islands, there is, <laughs> well, Again, society can't be built. Societies break down. We are seeing the breakdown of, of a society now. Um, not only is society destroyed, but also there is, n it, it just leads to general despair. You know, there's nothing worse than being alone. Like, it's not good for man to be alone, right? God said that at the very, very beginning, and it remains true now. Man needs society. Man is a social creature. God made us so. Um, he gave us language so that we can communicate with each other, so that we can build and we can accomplish things. Um, we can express ourselves and we can, well, I mean, everybody wants to be understood, right? That's a great driving force uh, for us, you know? Like, like you've heard 
like teenagers, right? And no one understands me. Oh, you know, you just don't understand, right? That's a that's a terrible thing. It causes angst or an anguish in people, right? <laughs> but um, but what what does that happen? I mean, what happens when that happens socially on a broad scale? You know, it's a it's a very destructive force. But um, uh, you know, it's 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 crazy. Francis Francis uh, Schaeffer saw this a long time ago. He saw where we were heading, the breakdown of language, the breakdown of of uh, society um, through that. And like Le Brie Institute, you know, the thing he started, the institute he started over there in Switzerland, I believe it is, right? Um, they dealt with this. They had people come from all over who just felt like they could not be heard or could not be understood because of the beginnings of the breakdown of language. Um, and he, he understood that part of the great task of the church is is the um, well to reverse Babel, right? Reverse reverse the effects of Babel. We see this in Acts, right? When the Spirit comes and everyone is speaking in another tongue, or at least being understood in every tongue that is that is there. That is the reverse of 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 the effect that Babel had, right? And it's our task as a church to provide a very clear and distinct um, unifying. Uh, language. You know, there's a reason that the church is called Catholic, right? It is universal. The language of, of the Bible is a universal language, and God's language is universal. You know, in every part of the world, we have trees and mountains. I mean, you know, you got deserts and things like that, of course. But you know what I'm saying? There's always sand. But um, God's language is a universal language, but it needs to be understood in light of His Word. You know, you need a dictionary in order to understand the way you know, what words mean, generally, right? <clears throat> you need some context. So God gave us the, well, we could think of the Bible as a dictionary in terms of the, the world around us. So when he talks about mountains and he talks about trees and he talks about things, we understand these things as biblical Im imagery and symbolism, right? These symbols stand for something else. But the wonder and the beauty of, of that is it has a reality, it's true, you know what I mean? So when God speaks about trees and men being as trees, there's a real connection between a man and a tree, you know what I mean? It's not just a um, convention that God uses. There's a reality that uh, exists in terms of what a man is and what a tree is, right? Same thing is true in terms of mountains, what mountains are and the gods they represent or um, you know, however you want to, well, however the Bible describes them. You know, um, there's a reality that, that exists there. You know, for a long period of time, it's very interesting, especially dealing with mountains. For a long period of time, uh, mountains were revered. They were held in awe, right? Uh, some tribal societies would go so far as to, to worship them, right? And especially if they're volcanic and stuff like that because they could be angry and destroy everything. Yeah. Um, and, well, mountains always were seen as majestic. We still say, right, we sing of the purples, mountains, majesty, et cetera, right? Like, because they are, they're majestic things, you know, and they're, they're meant to be that way. 
we're meant to look at them and be reminded of majesty, of God's majesty. They are the high places. You climb the mountain to see God, yes? That's the picture, that's the reality that God built into us and the world that he made. But come the modern period, the language for our language for mountains changed, right? Now man speaks about conquering mountains, yes, climbing Everest, conquering it, right? Um, the, the language is very, very different from holding, holding them as majestic things to things to be conquered, right? We see the, the arrogance of modern man, right? We see, I mean, I'm not saying that mountains can't be climbed, you know, but the language that's used is telling, right? It, it just shows the arrogance of, of man. We are the ones at the top of the mountain now, right? We've conquered the gods. We need them no longer. God is dead, right, as Nietzsche said. That's, it, it's funny how those things go hand in hand, right? The ideas of men and then the language that's changed in regards to the natural world around us, right? There's a reason for that because the natural world is a, well, it's God's canvas. It's, it's a, God put himself in it. These things remind us of God in every way. Um, they, God's, God, uh, how do we put this without being weird? Because I could say all kinds of weird things about this. And I could be very misunderstood and I don't want to be <laughs> held as a heretic, you know. But, um, yeah, well, I guess we could just say it like, like this. Like God placed himself or reveals himself through his written word and through his spoken word in terms of the natural world, right? They, they both reveal God, yes? Um, hopefully that makes some sense. But if man decides to reject God, then, well, now these things are things to be, to be conquered. There's a, a perversion of the dominion mandate, right? Instead of becoming good stewards of the earth, we become the earth's um, masters and conquerors, right? It can be abused and it can be used uh, however we see fit. And then there's a, a, a swing back the other way, you know, where men try to overcorrect and go back towards animism. And then you get, uh, oh, I don't know, like uh, tree huggers and the like, right? You know, the worship of, of the creature rather than the creator. So you could fall off the, the horse on either end, you know, and we see that in our time, right? Both, both mistakes, and it's the Christians that need to walk that middle path that put everything in its proper place and then teach the world to do the same thing. You know, we should be the best stewards of the earth. We should be the ones who know exactly what things are and what, how to use them you know, as, as revealed by God. We shouldn't be destroyers of the world, but um, it's protectors and, uh, you know, the best stewards of it we can. Now, those things are, are, are important to understand. Well, just understanding the way that God speaks. Like when we read words like, uh, it's just easy in Micah because he uses it so much, we stick with mountains, right? When we read that in Scripture, mountains, and then we go out to the world around us and we see, oh, there are mountains. There should be a connection between those two in our head, right? 
So if in Micah 6, he says, arise, plead your case before the mountains. You know, like that's, what is that? Right? We went through this. Um, but we should have an understanding of this, of the universal uh, characteristic of mountains, the cosmic picture that they represent. You know, we should be able to look at them and be reminded that God is high and holy and sits up on the mountain. Right? That's the that's the idea that's that's present there, and there is a reality uh, to that. The, the the world around us has that meaning. God built it into the world. You know, uh, I wish I could remember who said it, but uh, dealing with um, Psalm one, where let's see, I'll just read the psalm. Not I won't read all the psalm, but it's just well, might as well. It's short. All right, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Okay, a righteous person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Right. Is that just a pretty thing the psalmist thought of when he's sitting by a stream and saw a tree there and just thought, oh, this is, this is a great illustration I can use in my poetry, right? Is, is that what, what, what's going on there? Or did God design the world in such a way that a tree planted by streams of water is like a righteous person. Yeah, is it accidental or incidental? Right? No, it's not a, created, a creation of the psalmist. This is a creation of God. God intentionally made trees like that right? to make a correlation between men and the natural world around us. Right? You read Proverbs, and he's always looking to the natural world to give us examples Right? Like, look to the ant, oh sluggard. Right? Things like that. Yeah? Because there is a correlation between us and the created world. Right? And not just us, but a correlation between God and the created world, obviously. You know, he's the maker of it, and he reveals himself in it. You know, you want to learn about the provision of God. You know, we see it in the rain, and we see it. I mean, how, do we, how does God describe his love? Yeah? As rain. Time and time again, uh, you read the, the prophets, we, we, we see things about the dew of heaven all the time, right? God's rich provision represents God's rich provision. It's, it's an expression of his love, and Jesus says this explicitly. You know, we're to love our enemies the way God does. And how does God do it? He makes the rain fall on the righteous and on the wicked, right? He's washing the earth. He's cleansing it, and he's loving it and providing for it and causing things to grow and it giving provision for everybody, right? So you want a picture of God's love? Think of rain. Another one, think of wine. You know, it's, it's a fragrant aroma, the lifeblood of, um, well, it's called the blood of a grape, right? That's why we use wine in uh, communion because wine is blood, right? It's the blood of a grape, quite literally. But also it represents that the love, the giving of um, the life to another for gladness sake, you know. Uh, we see it time and time again in Scripture, and ultimately we see it in 
Christ, right? In, in, the, in the Eucharistic meal that we partake in. Um, but again, these things are real. You know, they have an actual meaning. You know, they're not just pretty pictures that God gives to us. You know, like the parables that Christ tells. Uh, they, they paint a, a picture for us so we can understand things. But they have a reality. There's a real correlation is what I'm trying to say, right? So the world has a definite meaning. Um, it's not a meaningless accident or it's not a, uh, a uh, mysterious thing. You know, God, God's given us this world and he's given us the key to understanding it, really. And the, that changes a lot, you know. When you look at things, you can look and wonder at the uh, spiritual aspect of, of things around you. Like the simplest for us, at least, you know, living, living here is the sea and the trees, and for you soon to be the mountains and the trees, right? Being able to look around and, and see the spiritual nature of these things, or right? the spirituality of trees, and we could experience every Sunday the spirituality of wine and, and bread and, and things like that, and know that these have a definite connection with their maker, you know? That's, that changes your appreciation of things, right? It changes the way you approach things. It changes the way that you look at the world. The world is full of wonder and majesty and magic, you know, if you will, um, because it has a real spiritual element to it, right? It's not just stuff, right? Uh, C.S. Lewis said uh, in Voyage of the Dawn Treader, right? when, I wish I could remember the kid's name, it's been a long time since I read it, the little jerky kid who does, the little non-believer. What's it? Yeah, Eustace, yes, thank you. Yes, Eustace. Uh, when he's, <laughs> when he meets a star, right, and he's shocked that he's talking to a star, and he says, I thought you were just balls of gas, right? And the star says, to, I'm paraphrasing, of course, you know, whatever, but the star says to him, he says, oh, Eustace, that's, what we're made of, that's not what we are, you know? And that idea is, is true and real, you know? Like, C.S. Lewis understood that these things have a reality that's behind just the physical makeup of them, right? When God uses stars all the time in Scripture, right? And stars are something very specific. Well, who knows what stars are in the Bible? The hosts of heaven. What are the hosts of heaven? Angels, Angels right, yes. The stars, right, are, were there at the beginning, right, as it, as it says in Job, etc. Calls them angel, those angels are called stars explicitly in Scripture. And we should have that understanding. Each one in its place, fully obedient to God, governing the earth as he commanded, right? To take our example from those things, you know, those are the heavenly hosts. Um, they have a spiritual reality that stands behind them and gives them meaning. Uh, the winds as well, right? Fires, winds, etc. When we think of forest fires and things like that, we can see a, a spiritual uh, reality that stands behind them, right? The angel, angels are called fires, right? He's made his spirit fires. The spirits are called winds as well, right? One of my favorite things um, in terms of understanding this is like if you look at, uh, oh man, I'm a woodworker, right? So I love wood. 
and I love trees and I love everything, like dealing with them. Uh, so I talk about trees quite a bit. But when, a, when you look at a piece of wood and it has what they call figure in it, right, in the grain, the grain is, uh, I don't know, like striped, right? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Like a really fancy piece of wood, it's all like figured, like uh, think of a back of a guitar, it's like a fiddleback, you know, whatever, things like that. It's all striped and it's very pretty and things like that. Well, that's caused by, um, as it, when the tree's younger, the wind blows on it and bends it and moves it, right? And as it bends, it creates those creases in the, in the, in the grain of the wood. You know, grain runs this way, the xylem and the phloem, right? And then as it bends this way, you start getting those cross creases and it creates a, a beautiful uh, design, a pattern in the wood. And as we, you work with it, it's very difficult to work with. Um, well, it can be very difficult to work with because uh, you know, it wants to peel up or, or whatever else. It's, it's, it's tougher, but it's beautiful. And the finished product that you get is, is absolutely wonderful. You know? But you can look at that wood, and I look at that wood as, as like angel wood, you know? because the, the wind is what creates that. It acts on, on the tree in order to, to create that effect. You know? um, and the, the angels are described as ministering spirits, right? They minister to, to us, for us, yes? And Hebrews tells us this, etc. right? People know that, right? And what are trees? But people, yeah? See how that picture works? You know, it creates something beautiful and wonderful, you know, something that's tougher to work with, but it's still beautiful, you know? And the final product is absolutely stunning, right? Um, so there's a direct correlation between these two things, yeah? Hopefully that makes sense. The world around us reveals this to us, you know, and God's word. Uh, defines it for us. Hopefully that makes sense. Right? And Mike is a great book to, to use to talk about that because of the wonderful pictures that he uses time and time again. So um, that's what we, it's one of the things that we focused on as we went through the book. So hopefully this review was a little helpful. I know you didn't sit through a lot of that, but um, we spoke a lot about that sort of thing. And, you know, who deals with this quite a bit is uh, the guys from the Theology Podcast, right? You know, you know C.R. Wiley pretty uh, and, and whatnot. They talk about this stuff quite a bit, and it's uh, it's very helpful. It's very beneficial. You know, guys like um, yeah, he deals with the symbolism stuff. You know, the, the the other guys they deal with the symbolism and the reality of it. You know what I mean? Like they take it to another level. You know, um, so it's it's very helpful. Like uh, Lightheart and and Jordan, those guys. Yeah, Jordan, but Lightheart does as well. You know, I mean, some of their stuff is questionable. You don't have to agree with everything they say, but they are very helpful in understanding biblical symbolism. Those other guys are very helpful in, in taking the ideas that are presented in the biblical symbolism and applying them to the reality that, in which we live. You know, these things are, are, are eminently practical. They're not just pretty pictures, but they should shape the way that we see the world around us. You know what I mean? Like these things are, are true with a capital T, you know. Um, these are, there's a spiritual reality that comes uh, from God given to the physical world. As a matter of fact, it says in Hebrews that by faith we understand that the, the things that are visible have been created by the invisible. So the invisible is primary. It comes first. And it gives shape and form to the visible. So those are the things that give this world meaning. 
right? God gives this world meaning. He stands uh, apart from it and behind it, giving this world its, its meaning. It's not just stuff, you know, but there is a spiritual reality to the stuff around us, yeah? Okay, and I think we should close with that note, right? All right, let's pray, and we'll, we'll end it. So, Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for your word, that you have revealed these things to us, that you have um, well, you've given us a wonderful world in which we live, Father God, a world filled with all kinds of uh, mysteries and, and uh, wonders, Father. And we thank you, Lord, that you've not just left us to guess at what these things are, but you've told us, Father. And we pray that we can take these things and apply them uh, to our lives so that we might be better stewards of the world that you've given to us and understand the ethical components of, of these as well. Lord, how we are to deal with our fellow man, how we're to approach you, um, Father God, but we do pray that we would be a people that is marked out by obedience. Um, and as next week we look at uh, the proper response to your judgment, and how it comes and, and why it comes, Father God, we pray that we would be a people marked out by repentance and, and faith and, and steadfast love, Lord God, a covenantal faithfulness in you, in your word, Lord God, and remain um, those who do uh, good works, who are not weary of well-doing. But now, as we seek to worship you, Father God, we pray that um, you would guide us, that you'd be pleased with our worship, Lord that as we approach your throne in the heavenly places, Lord, as we climb the heavenly uh, mountain to the new Jerusalem, Lord, we pray that you would uh, get all the glory, Lord, that you would hear our prayers and our petitions and answer them, Lord, that you would receive our praise and our, our, our songs and our thanksgiving and be honored and glorified, Lord. And we pray as we dine with you, Lord, that you would see Christ in us as we partake of him and uh, remember your covenantal promises that you have made to us and not um, leave us as orphans in this world. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.